great to see you all here. And it's lovely to have lots of uh, visitors with us whose faces I definitely know, names I'm not great at all. But I think Neil's got some names later to remind me and everybody else. Thank you, God, for bringing us all together this morning. And I pray you'll be with us as we come together to learn from you. This week, there's some things happening for quite a few people this week. So I'd like all the kids to come out to the front. Can all the kids come out to the front? I didn't expect to have so many sat at the front, stood at the front. That's fantastic. Has anybody got anything happening this week? Yeah, what's happening this week? What are you doing, man? Going to school. Wow. Back to school after summer holidays. Has anybody got a new teacher? Hands up. Yeah. Somebody without a new teacher. Everybody else has got a new teacher. Anybody going to a new school? <gasps> there are. Who's going to a new school? You're going to year one. Fantastic. Madeline, what are you doing? You're going to junior school? Jess. Jess is going to secondary school. Wow. Some people doing some big things this week. Anybody got any exams this year? Big exams. Yeah. Ooh. What exams have people got this year? A-levels. That's got A-levels. 11 plus. A few people doing 11 plus in there right early on today, next, this next month, in the next few weeks. Yeah. So lots of, lots of excited and slightly anxious kids. Lots of more anxious parents. <laughs> as, as kids go off to school to do new experiences, new classes, new teachers, to have lots of fun. But at the same time, I thought it'd be great this morning as we do this to think about the fact that God's with us as, as we're going off and to worship together and to, to think and to pray together before we begin a new exciting term and year. Right, where's my thing? Here we are. Now, before we start, one of the things I've heard a lot about this summer is that kids suffer a sort of brain drain during the summer and they lose so much knowledge over summer and parents you've got to have been sort of doing at least four hours work every day otherwise you really start to see a big a big drop off in in performance so just for you here just want to test to make sure mums and dads have been doing what they should have been doing some some simple maths right in maths practice one plus one no no, it's three. It, it, it's three. One plus one is three, isn't it? It's always three. Is that, have we... Have we oh, oh, I better explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got my commission on top, is that the... <laughs> Jesus said, when two or three people come together, there I am with you. So wherever we are, the Lord Jesus is always with us. So if there's two of us together, Jesus is with us as well. If we're on our own, Jesus is still with us. Can anybody count how many people are here this morning? Oh. Some people are taking their socks off. There's <laughs> a lot to count. Fifty-four, and did you add Jesus on? No, fifty-five. Was there anybody in crash? We don't know. 
55. We've got to remember that the Lord Jesus is always with us wherever we are. It can be our shelter, our guide, somebody to turn to when we're feeling worried, when we're excited and want to, to, to share good things. Now, somebody was going to do, read a sentence for me from Joshua. It's on the board. Somebody wants to come to the microphone where everybody can hear. Great. Thanks, Jess. Somebody going to come and help you? Hannah, are you going to come and do it with No? Just Jess. Go on, then, Jess. Go on, Jess. Be strong, strong and courageous. courageous. Do, do not, not be afraid. Do, do not, not be discouraged. For, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's And you think we can all say that to the kids as well? Together. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Great. Thanks, everybody. And all sit down, we'll, we'll have some worship together. Lord, as the children we know here and know in our homes leave for school, for ourselves and extended friends and family, we pray you will keep them in your loving care, that you'll open their minds to all that's true, all that's beautiful, all that is good, that you'll help them to see the gifts, the talents that you've given to them and to use them really well to help them to grow in knowledge and wisdom, particularly in you. Help them to be kind to others and to lead others to be kind to them. Give their teachers patience and, and understanding and help them to teach what is just and true. You'll send your angels to guard, to guide our children, to keep them from all harm. And that you'll open their hearts to your presence and enfold them in your peace and protection. Hold them heart in the, in the palm of your hand and bring them home safely at each day's end. Amen. Great, this morning we're going to spend a few minutes thinking about um, the Beatitudes. Uh, that's a passage of teaching uh, which Jesus gives at the first Great Commission. The first time he sends out the disciples to go and preach the gospel, to go and preach the good news. Just before he sends his disciples out to change the world as people knew it, he gives them these teachings. And I think in this teaching that the Lord gives, it gives the disciples, it gives us some keys to our spiritual development. What was it, the first thing here that Jesus is, is teaching his disciples that they could go out and preach to change the world. What is it that we can learn about ourselves, about the things he said, the things he did for them, that this could have the same effect on us and the way that we go out and preach and live to change the world around us? What I thought we'd do this morning is um, read it together. Put it on the screen. It's Matthew 5. If you can't read the screen, Matthew 5. And we're going to start at verse 3. So it would be great if we can read this together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Might be useful to have your Bibles open at Matthew 5 as we think about things this morning. We're going to think about each of those statements one by one. And, and as we do, I, if you can, try and reflect on yourself, your own life, and maybe think about if there's anything that God is trying to teach you this morning as we read and think and worship and, and pray together. The Lord's topic, blessed. Who is blessed? I think it means more than to be happy. It's not just about being happy. I think happiness is, is more related to things happening, happenstance. I think this is about being blessed by God. The actual Greek word here has the meaning of approval. In, in essence, to have God congratulate you. Can we imagine that? God congratulating us. Not something I think we often think about. And yet it's there. Let's go. Keep your finger in Matthew. We'll, we'll go and look at this. Second, uh, I'm going to say, I think it's First Corinthians. And I've said that. First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4 and um, verse 5. Now, Paul's writing to the, uh, the church at Corinth and uh, he's talking about the return of Jesus when, when we meet him, when we're presented before God for judgment. And that usually is a time we think in the Bible, oh, it's a frightening time, it's a scary time. We're coming before God for judgment. And Paul says, verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, last sentence, at that time when we meet God, each, every one of us will receive his praise from God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. How we get to that outcome, how we receive congratulations, how we receive that blessing from God himself. The ultimate outworking of, of the spiritual development that we're, we're trying to bring about in ourselves, praise from God. Back in Matthew... We have this group of people who've come to meet the Lord. They've come to meet him on the mountainside in the middle of the day. I think the people who were gathered there knew who was blessed. They wanted to know how to get into the club. These are people who had time to come and sit on a hillside in the middle of the day. Possibly we could deduce they didn't have work. They didn't have things to keep them busy during the day. The people in the Lord's Jesus time had a very short life expectancy. They got horrendous health issues to deal with. 
They were under the forced oppression of a, of a foreign government. Their lives essentially were complete oppression from the moment they were born until the moment they died. Here's a list of what I think they might have thought as, as blessings. I think it's probably similar to a list we might have today. Blessed are those who are wealthy because they're insulated from all the troubles of life. Blessed are those who are beautiful because they're desired, they're sought out. Blessed are the lucky because they avoid all the calamities of life. Blessed are the healthy because they live long, they enjoy life. Blessed are the intelligent because they've had a head start of everybody else. Blessed are the connected because doors are open for them. They'll get to places I could never dream about. Blessed are the strong because they're the ones who are going to prevail. Blessed are the successful because they're the ones that everybody admires, that people look up to. Blessed are the confident because they'll lead and people will follow. Blessed are the cheerful, because everyone enjoys their company. Everybody wants to be with them. Blessed are the optimists, because they'll always see the possibilities. There's one for me. Blessed are the tall, because everyone looks up to them. My day-to-day work. <laughs> Easily the shortest. Apparently, I'm only four inches short of greatness, though. So that's... <laughs> Blessed are the ruthless, because they always win. I'm quite sure the people in Jesus' day might have had a similar list to that that we might have today in the 21st century. You know, maybe we sometimes can look at the world on a day-to-day basis and get the wrong perspective about what is important, what real blessing is about. These are the people, you know, who have something to brag about in our day-to-day lives. Let me tell you about my wealth. Let me tell you about my wonderfully successful children. Let me brag about my health, the things I've done. That wasn't the crowd that the Lord Jesus was teaching that day. He was teaching people who'd had a hard life, a tiring life, a people who wouldn't feel fortunate people who would not feel blessed. But when we think about it, though, the world brags about things that it can't have any control over. I remember when I was growing up at home, from the age of about three, looking back at family photos, my brother, who was 18 months younger than me, was already taller than I was. I got cast off clothes as the elder brother from about the age of three onwards. It was the wrong way around. I remember through my childhood desperately wanting to be the taller, the bigger. And no matter what I did, it didn't happen. I ate the fruit and veg that mum put in front of me. Nathan didn't. He grew taller. I didn't. <laughs> nothing, nothing worked. Nothing worked. Yeah, it was not on my list of things to control. And a trip to the GP can destroy in a minute the illusion of good health, can't it? A few decisions by a tax office, by a government elsewhere, by people in offices we've never heard of, 
in distant places can destroy the illusion of wealth. It's gone. The Lord Jesus talked to people about things that were in their control, things they could do something about. So let's have a look then. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's poor? I don't think the law is talking about people who are financially poor. I think he's using a metaphor here to talk about a poverty of spirituality. He's not saying blessed are the wimps, blessed are the failures in a, in a personality contest. This is about the recognition of our need, recognising that we're helpless, the recognition that, that we're sinners. The recognition that we need a saviour. That's what the Lord's talking about. The beginning of salvation is repentance. Recognising our position and the need for a saviour. That we can't do anything about it ourselves. We need a saviour. We look back at the writings of, of Paul in his first letter to Timothy. And he says he's the worst of sinners. Although I remember from a few years ago when, when Mike gave a talk here, we remember it's actually Mike that's the worst of, the worst of all sinners, not, not Paul. But being in that place, you know that you're righteous enough on your own to, to see salvation, that you are in reality a, a desperate sinner in total need of Christ. That's what about being poor in spirit is. An illustration for that. Let's imagine that whilst we're here today, all the money in the world disappears. There's no money left at all. You get back home, you've no food in the fridge, you've no food in the freezer, you've no food in the cupboard. Your family are hungry. We get to Wednesday, we get to Thursday. Nobody's eaten for four, five days. How desperate would we be for food? Very desperate. I'd probably be desperate by tea time tonight. And then somebody comes to you and says, right, we're going to take you to Asda and we're going to stock up your cupboard with, with all the food you, you need. How much do you now rely on that person? from your poverty of having nothing, have no means to getting anything, somebody comes and offers you the food that you need. You are wholly reliant on that person to meet that need for you and your family. And that's what it's about, recognising how poor spiritually we are to fully rely on the saviour we've been given. That's about the poor in spirit. Only then is the promise of the kingdom of God a reality in, in our lives. I think only then can you begin to move on to develop with the next blessing, the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I've read that a number of times. Particularly when you've lost somebody you love, 
when I've lost somebody I love. And at the time, I thought, I don't understand that verse. How, how is this relevant to me? What? I, I don't feel blessed that I'm mourning. I, I don't even know that I'm getting comfort. What is Jesus saying here? I, I wonder, I don't think Jesus is perhaps talking about the emotionally upset. I think this is about a spiritual mourning. I don't think this is about the grief of a death of a loved one. I think this might be mourning over sin. Grieving over my sin. Your sin. Maybe in a wider sense, other people's sins. The sins of the world. Grieving that that God is daily being dishonoured. That the sin, the violence, the immorality in the world grieves us. And it grieves us to the core of our whole. We, We look for the kingdom to come. To mourn over what God mourns. It's like that song we sometimes sing. And if I could have thought about the rest of the song and found the words, we would have sung it. Um, but at one o'clock in this morning, I didn't think David would appreciate a phone call for picking his brains. Um, break my heart for what breaks yours. Yeah, thank you. I knew you'd know. <laughs> um, break my heart for what breaks yours. It's a challenge, isn't it? Have you ever cried over your sin? Have you ever cried over the sins of the world? That God is being dishonoured. King David is a great inspiration to us. When his sin was revealed to him, the great anguish he had, he cries out, against you, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. His great pain over his own sin. And yet, interestingly, let's go to this. Keep your your fingers in Matthew. Let's go to Psalms and uh, 119. Psalm 119, verse 136, 136. David says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Do we share that same sense of of anguish that God's law is is dishonoured in the world in which we live. Do we have that contrast in our lives about the very person that God is against the, the evil of the world? What does Jesus say? What's our reward when we get to the point of awareness of our own sin? The sin of others, the sins of, of the world. That we will be comforted. True and full forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us, that we've been washed as white as snow. That's the comfort that comes from the times when we mourn over our sin, over the sins of the world. Before we break bread in a minute... I thought it was interesting to uh, to think just more broadly about 
these qualities? Are they something that you aspire to in life? I don't see many of these probably on CVs that you would see written. I know that somebody's merciful, somebody's pure in heart. It's not a characteristic that the world would would look to as as a great quality. If you were to list the qualities that you desired in your life, would these be in your top nine? Maybe some of them may be. You see, this first part of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ as he sends his disciples out is about transforming the kinds of lives, the kinds of people that we are. Blessed are the meek. Would you put on your CV that you were meek? I'm a good project manager, good, good time management skills, and I'm meek. Probably unlikely to win you the job, isn't it? Maybe that's because we've misunderstood meekness. I wonder whether we think it's about being timid, about having no backbone. Well, that wasn't Jesus, was it? And Jesus was meek. The word is about the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. The quality of not being overly impressed by one's own sense of importance. It's about gentleness, humility, just common courtesy, considerateness, would, would all describe the qualities of meekness. And it's a challenging characteristic to develop when you're trying to succeed at work, when you're trying to get something done as a customer, when you're driving on the road, when other people are being slow or just, I don't know, in my own mind, incompetent or just plain stupid. You know, to, to be meek, to be, to be gentle, to be considerate, to be courteous. But meek people know the reward. They're going to inherit the earth. That's how important God sees as trying to develop this characteristic in our life. Hungering for righteousness. So what do you hunger for? What is it on a day-to-day basis that you hunger for, you desire? You know, a lot of people hunger for success, don't they? To be desired, to be liked by people. Is that something that we, we hunger for? It's interesting, God never says, tone down your desires. You, you've got, you've, your desires are too strong, tone them down. He never tells us to tone down our desires. God says, change the object of your desires. Become, as it were, addicted to, to righteousness. Righteousness just means conforming to the will of God. Try to change your life to, to meet the will of God. To be like Jesus, who is called our righteousness, the righteous one. If that's what we hunger for, if that's what we thirst for, that, let's get that the object of our desire. But I sit there and think to myself, Mark, how much do you really want righteousness? Really? How much really like Jesus do you want to be on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I can come to church and sit the box on Sunday morning. 
I'm, I'm certainly going to do my best to be righteous for the next hour and a half. I don't want to let the mask slip while I'm here. Does it, does it go beyond the time at church? I can be righteous as long as it's not with this group of friends, because it's really tricky to be righteous with that group of friends. I can be righteous as long as it's not on this certain night when I do this. I can be righteous as long as it's not in this place, because it's, it's tricky to be righteous when I'm in that place, or looking at that website, or looking at that film, or having that conversation with that person. Do we really want to be righteous? Is it a case of one more look? One more temper tantrum? And if I was really hungry and thirsting for righteousness, would I even want any desire for any of those things? And then I've been thinking about, you know, those who were uh, poor in spirit, the illustration of, you know, if you're hungry for food, when would I be hungry? How often are you hungry during an average day? Well, Tony, how many times are you hungry during an average day? <laughs> Before meal times, you would start getting hungry. So three or four times a day. Yeah, yeah when you're awake, yeah. yeah. That common for us, do you think? That's about right, yeah. And probably about every other hour. <laughs> Could do with a little snack. Another biscuit, a banana, some nuts, dinner, an apple. I know. I'm always a bit hungry. I'm always a bit peckish for something, particularly if somebody else is eating. And I sat and I thought, well, how often do I hunger for righteousness? Think about this last week. How many times have you been hungry for food? How many times have you been thirsty? How many times have you been hungry for righteousness? How many times have you been hungry to be more like Jesus? You know, hunger can be a powerful drive, can't it? If anybody has to go in for medical tests, I, I always want to have my, and if it's a fasting one, I always want my test at half six in the morning. Wake up, go there, have my blood test. That, that's what I want, I can go and have my breakfast. If the doctor said, oh yeah, your, your blood test, it's, uh, yeah, you've got to fast all day and you've got to have it at five o'clock at night, oh... That would, that would be a real cruel hardship for Mark to bear, to be, to be hungry all day like that. But what about people who are really hungry? People who are starving? You know, that's all they think about. Nothing else is going to distract them. Nothing else is going to get in their way. It's, it's an all-consuming thought. They want some food. What about us? What about our intensity of passion to hunger and thirst after Jesus? What, what's the consistency? What's the intensity of that desire for righteousness? Is it a daily appetite? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. As we come to eat bread and, and reflect on our Lord and our lives, 
we're grateful that the righteousness we desire, the righteousness we seek, can't be earned. It's a gift. And that gift has already been provided for us. Before Steve leads us in prayer for the bread, we're going to sing together. Verse 3 picks up some of the themes. As we, as we keep this feast in, in our bread and in our wine, as with his life, our lives combine in thankfulness and praise. Father, here we are, your children, gathered together before you now. And as your face passes over us, your gaze stops and lingers upon each and every one of us. And the warmth of your smile breaks out. Because it doesn't matter what barriers we put up. It doesn't matter where our heads are at. It doesn't matter what we're thinking. You penetrate into our hearts. You know our every being. You know who we are. And you love us. I know your son experienced that. He was so aware of you in his life. His life was empty without you. And Lord Jesus, you encourage us to have in our hearts and in our minds the things of your Father and not the things of this world. Which is why you were able to and you wanted to Give your life for us. Because you knew in doing that, you would prick our souls and our consciences. You would make us turn to you and to your Father and to humble ourselves before you because we need you. Father, I pray as we pass this bread one to another, And we eat a little of it, that some of our hunger is quenched, because you continue to transform us to be more like your son. Doesn't matter what we think, doesn't matter what we fear, you pour out your love upon us day after day. And we thank you for that blessing. Lord God, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for knowing our hearts. And thank you for giving us what we need. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, how have we got here in our walk through the Beatitudes. The poor in spirit, we, we realise our need, we, we mourn our sin, we're meek, we're humble, we're gentle, we're hungering for righteousness, 
Now we show mercy. When you've experienced the mercy of God in, in recognizing your own position, then you're far more able to show mercy to others. And it gets counterintuitive to the world, isn't it? That the Roman Stoics in, in the time of the Lord Jesus described mercy as a sickness of the soul. That's how counterintuitive it was then. We think about people who try and succeed in business today, watching The Apprentice or, or other programs like that. You know, mercy is not a, a top quality that they list, is it? Whether it's you know, them or celebrity culture icons. And yet we're called to be merciful. To see someone in need, to try and meet their need. Mercy shows compassion. It, it takes action. It brings hope to the hopeless. It brings forgiveness to the offender. It brings comfort to those who are hurting. It, it, it brings companionship to the lonely. And Jesus says, blessed on the pure in heart. For they will see God. The word pure in Greek is pretty much like the English word. It means no dirt. I think it's also interesting to note it's in the heart. You know, a lot of times in, in the Bible, and as we, as we preach the word, we can think about external things. We can think about our behavior, our impure behavior, our immoral actions in the world. And in, and in English, when we talk about the heart, we generally mean emotions, don't we? That's, when we think about the heart, it's about our emotional response to something. And yet, in the New Testament, it's far more than that. It's about the whole of a person's being. It's about heart, mind, and soul. The whole of a person's being. The core of who you are. That's where we have to be pure. That is another incredible challenge for us. But look at the reward. They will see God. And one of the great comforts of the Christian life is what Steve talked about in his prayer, that we're not left on our own in, in our endeavours to seek first God's kingdom, to seek first his righteousness, to put off the wretched people that we are and try and conform our lives more and more each day to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Paul say? You know, the good that I would, that I don't do. And the things I want to do, oh, I can't do them. I'm failing. That, that's the struggle. We all share that, that Paul comments about. The purity that we desire, in the end, we have to seek, we have to try, we have to endeavour. But ultimately, as with all the Beatitudes, they're, they're all a gift. They're all part of the transforming work to be made complete in us when we see God, when we receive our congratulations from him. That's when those things are made complete when God makes complete in us the work we try in some small feeble way to start in our own lives and before we share wine together I'd like us to, to sing um, from, from praise the Lord and on this it's, it's number 165 from this book and this talks about the fact that we fail. We're trying. We've, we've set the goal. We know what we, we've got to try and do to change ourselves around. And yet, the failures that we have. And, and for this reason, we, we have Jesus 
as our saviour, as our redeemer, as our righteousness. For the joys and the sorrows. Great God of love. I'm poor in spirit. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I have struggles and burdens. Lord, there are things that we all constantly battle against. But we know we are fortunate because you are on our side. You blessed us before we existed. You blessed us before we knew you. You blessed us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, you were sold for 30 pieces of silver. That seems like a lot because I've sold out for so much less. Those times that we could have confessed your name and we shied away from it because of peer pressure, because of embarrassment, whatever it is, Lord. And yet still, you're on our side. Father God, you are on our side. And we thank you. We thank you that this wine that we're going to share represents your forgiveness held out for us to take. Your love poured out for us. We thank you that it signifies our hearts being washed clean. That it signifies your righteousness covering us. Lord, help us to use this sharing of this wine together to help us not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed as you live in us. Lord, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this wine that we can share. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen. As we reach the end of thinking about the Lord's teachings in uh, the Beatitudes. He says to us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now the word peace is that, the, the word shalom, that, that we, we know. And that is more than just sort of the absence of hostilities, there not being any war. Shalom is a greeting. It's to say all that is good 
for you. All that is good for a person, for society. So if you're going to be a peacemaker, you know, we, we've got to think about forgiveness, making amends. Maybe there's some gentle correction involved in being a peacemaker. And maybe as you think about this, maybe somebody's come into your mind whom you need to make peace with. Maybe you're aware of a context in which perhaps you need to work as a peacemaker. Well, those who are peacemakers, what are they called? The children of God. We're called the children of God because we're like our Father. And, uh, only this week I was out working. I used to work with my dad while he, while he worked in the business. And uh, everybody still says, oh, you do sound like your dad. Last time I spoke at a, a church away where they knew me, like, oh, I remember your dad when he was your age. You do sound like him. You, oh, you're almost looking like him. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> As we take on the likeness of God, we become like the children of God. We take on the characteristics of our Father. And God is a peacemaker the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus is called our peace. And so we are to live this out amongst each other, amongst our colleagues, our friends, our neighbours, in our day-to-day lives. But, and I think there's a big but here, just because we live out these seven great attributes that God wants us to try and develop in our lives does not mean we will have a peaceful life. In fact, I suspect if we do it properly, it might very well be the opposite. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When the truths you live, the standards you live by make you a target, They've become your own. They're not just God's theoretical instructions. They are now your own targets. When someone at work, in your street, in your school, in your family, even maybe in your church, attacks you for what you believe because of what you are as a follower of Christ, you are blessed because they recognize you truly believe. It it really is... God's values in you that they are attacking. And it's an honour. If you don't laugh at the off-colour jokes, if you don't join in with the gossip, the drinking sessions at work, the flirting, generally people don't like that. You stand out a bit. On the other hand, we can't use being persecuted for righteousness' sake as an excuse for bad behaviour. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the offensive. You know, putting it in people's faces in a rude way about their life not being up to the standards that you set and you know. So when we look back over these qualities, has God drawn you to one this morning? Is there a particular point of your life that, that God is bringing to attention to you this morning to alter, to improve?
Because we need to be a people who are poor in spirit, who realise our need, who recognise we've got a problem, who are mourning over our sin and the sin of the world. A people who are meek, who are gentle, who are humble, who hunger daily for righteousness, who thirst after that, who are merciful, who are pure in every aspect of their being, who are peacemakers, who, who might be persecuted for righteousness. I believe the more and more we cultivate these characteristics in ourselves, the more we together as a church and individuals become people who, who, who help people find and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We become that city on a hill which cannot be hid, which is what the Lord goes on to talk about in Matthew. And the only way we can move on and try and put these things into aspects, into, into work in our lives, is with the strength of God, what we thought about this morning. We can't rely on just our own abilities. We've got to turn to God for assistance to repent, to open our hearts, to let God move and shape and change the people that we are, to be the people that he desires us to be. And after all this, we know in full confidence, no matter how much we fail, how much or little we try, the abject rubbish mess, we can probably sit here and think we will make, no matter how great the intentions, at quarter to twelve this morning, Quarter to twelve tomorrow, it might have all gone out the window. Knowing all that, we have great confidence that that our Father's grace is more than sufficient for each and every one of us. That God's power, his love, his all-encompassing love, is made perfect in the weaknesses that we have. That God will make us complete in that day. When by grace we meet him face to face and he says, well done, congratulations, you are my child. We're going to sing together about that um, and after we've sung that, Neil's going to give us some announcements and then we'll pray. Your grace is sufficient for me, your power is made perfect in weakness, for when I am weak, I am strong. Uh, it's been lovely to share this morning with all of you and uh, particularly with our visitors and um, uh, we've been blessed to have with us the following Ruth Andrews, um, it's great to see you here, great to see you Nate, uh, great to see Althea um, and Matt and Zoe and uh, little, is it Naomi? Little Naomi as well. Uh, it's been super to have you all with us, thank you for being here. So we'll finish with the care news. Um, Ian, first of all, Ian is still in Trafford General and has been visited during the week. Uh, there's talk of him coming back to Bath Crescent soon, um, maybe during this coming week. So uh, please check with the hospital before you visit from now on. Um, Marion is quite poorly in week. She has been visited during the last week. Um, she's due to have some fairly extensive tests tomorrow, uh, which apparently will not be very pleasant. Now, it's Marion's birthday today. Uh, and we wish her God's blessing for a better year ahead. Um, Juan and Sylvia have been away this week, um, although they are both here, 
one had a, um, some treatments on your corneal graft. Is that going okay? Yeah, good. Great to see you here. Um, good to see Mike here as well today. Mike apparently is due to start back at work. Excellent, this week. Um, just doing mornings initially. Um, we thank God for Mike's recovery and pray that uh, he'll be with Mike as he goes back to work. And for Lucy as she moves on from, uh, from looking after Mike. And also we know Sophie's starting school, isn't she? So uh, our prayers for God to be with you all. Um, Johnny Webborn, uh, who we've heard a bit about recently, um, has started his treatment for his melanoma. Treatment is, is going well. Um, but he and all the family still need our fervent prayers. So um, please remember Johnny throughout the next week and beyond then. Um, and finally, we heard in the week about um, Brother Ken Brash having, having died recently. His funeral uh, will be this Thursday at Altrincham Creme at 1.30 um, and then afterwards at the Belmore Hotel on Brooklyn's Road in Sale. And again, our thoughts and prayers um, with Alison and the family. Thank you. Remain seated while we, we pray together. Abba, our Father, you know every heart in this room. You know everything that everybody is going through. You know our struggles. The struggles to confess. The struggles to desire you. The struggles to seek you first above all else in our lives. You know our doubts. You know the struggle to let go, the struggle not to want to be in charge over every little aspect of our lives. The struggle to completely rest our lives in your hands. You've reminded us again that you are our Redeemer. And to the extent that we realise we, we have to fully rely on you, we are blessed. We are blessed when we realise we have to turn to you for help. And so we do that right now, Lord. We commit our lives into your hands. And as we have our eyes closed now, just think for a moment or two about the things that you might wish to commit into the Lord's hands. To trust him. We lift up to you, Lord, Ian and Marion. Johnny, Alison and her children, Mike, we pray for your good and perfect will to be made complete in their lives and that they can have the strength of faith and character to rest in your hand no matter what the future holds. Lord, use the things we're going through in our lives to make our certainty about your love for us stronger, our confidence in you and our desire for your kingdom, a greater reality in, in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.